Hey, listen, my name is Israel, one of the pastors here. Been here on staff for about a decade. Been doing ministry for close to about 20 years. I'm rounding up. Um, been married for about 12 years. We have three beautiful children. And my wife, yep, thank you. Uh, it was my pleasure. Um, we, uh, we, I've been married for about 12 years. We have three children. And my wife sends her love. Uh, she is kind of watching our little tribe of piotters at home. And I, I got to say this, a special shout out to you for my five-year-old son. Uh, as I'm pulling out of the driveway, and my son says, Daddy, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Fusion. He goes, you going to talk to the peoples? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk to the peoples. He said, tell the peoples I said hi. So, <laughs> from my son, Ethan, hi, peoples. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, uh, one of my passions is I, I, I love ministering in dark places. I mean, there's this statement, uh, and I'm, I'm going to mess it up, but it's this, if my life was a candle and I only had one candle to burn, let me burn in the darkest corners of the world. And I, I, I resonate with that because I love ministering the gospel, the light of God in the darkest places, the most taboo places. I mean, give me your obscure, give me your taboo, give me your rejects, give me the people that nobody wants to touch. I want to go after those people. And I want to tell you this story of kind of how I kind of realized that and became settled with that. Now, don't get me wrong. I love doing regular stuff like uh, performing uh, marriage ceremonies and, and, and offering biblical guidance and praying for people's cats in the a hallway out there, may mittens be healed in the name of Jesus. I'm all for that regular stuff, but it, it, I don't really go home satisfied like I do when I've really been placed in a dark place to really usher in the presence of God. And so I'll kind of give you this story in contrast. Uh, um, uh, and and it, it, was, it was a few years ago uh, in Atlanta, and uh, me and my wife were getting our, uh, we're, 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 it was date night, so we're going to go eat at Perimeter Square Mall. That's what, it, no, yeah, Perimeter, is it Square Mall still? Or is that Lenox Square? That's just Perimeter. We'll talk, call it Perimeter. <laughs> and so you know that little, like, like that grassy knoll, and there's all these restaurants and bars out there? Well, in that area, uh, a bus comes from like a hotel, and all these dudes dressed like women come out. And I'm thinking, okay, either there's a conference in town or maybe some guys are just out having a good old time. And they get out there in this middle of the place and my wife and I are talking and we, we do the whole, aw, like let's pray for them. Like, yeah, let's, Jesus, bless them. Bless them, Holy Spirit. Like it was just this soft, bless the Lord Jesus, bless them. And then my wife says, you know what, um, I'm gonna go check on our table, watch my purse. And so she leaves me with her purse. She goes into the little restaurant out there, and, and uh, these guys are over there, and I'm over here. And I, uh, I, you know, and all of a sudden, like, there's, there's drunk people all over the place. And let me tell you what happened. Like, they start ridiculing and making fun and bullying all these guys that are dressed as women. Now, hold on. Like, you did put on a dress when you walked out of the house. So, you know, I'm sorry. Like, you're... Someone's going to say something. But this was painful to watch. I mean, they are insulting them. And some of these guys who were dressed as women were just crushed from the moment that they got out. And they're looking down. And you could see their faces were sunken in like life had been sucked out of them. And there's a part of me that's going, oh, no. Not on my watch. Like, I mean, it went from Hello Kitty to Deadpool. Like, all of a sudden. And I'm like, X, going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. Like, it was, I was angry with this righteous anger. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, let me get my purse. Let me get this. 
And before you know it, I find myself in the circle of this gaggle of cross-dressers. And I, I realized, um, I just moved out of pure instinct. I was righteously angry at people bullying them. I wanted to fight every single person, okay, who was, who was bullying on these people who were clearly confused and wounded. I wasn't thinking. And now I'm in the center of their circle, and every drunk person at the bar is going, what's that guy doing? And every cross-dresser going, what's he doing? And I'm going, what am I doing? <laughs> and, and here's the moment where I go, I don't have a plan. I didn't think this through. No icebreakers, no, hey, y'all want to see a magic trick? It's the disappearing thumb. Who likes this? None of that. But what I did have was a purse. Yeah, I didn't realize I had a purse. The Deadpool guy had a purse. And so now I, I, I should have started with, uh, hey, guys, um, my name is Israel. What are your names? Instead, I went with, uh, so guys, can I get your opinion on something? Is this nay or is it slay? <laughs> now, <sighs> really bad choice. I'm thinking, I'm trying to defend these guys, and I just made fun of them. But to my surprise, they all bust out laughing. I mean, the, the, I don't know if it was because the awkward tension was no longer on them and now it was, it was on me. I don't know if it was because now my voice drowned out the voice of the people that were criticizing them and bullying them. I don't know what it was, but I went with it. I kept using humor. I said, hey, guys, look, before I, you tell me your names, I'm going to guess your occupations. And I look at one guy, and I'm like, okay, you're a gym coach, you're a politician, and you're a youth pastor. And they're just laughing at, the, at, at, at all of that. And, I, and we're making this connection in laughter and and as I'm getting closer to them and seeing them, and I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing how their wigs are this big and their eyelashes are this big and their Adam's apples are this big, like I'm just I'm realizing I'm, I'm, I'm realizing these what they're looking for. What they're looking for is something substantial. The, every single man in this circle is looking for something with depth, and that's when God kind of just kicked into me and and I said, "Listen, guys, my name's Israel and." Um, uh, I, I just want to tell you that uh, I love God with all my heart. And then right then and there, I, I said, I, I got to tell you this. Beyond your makeup, beyond your, your wigs, beyond the dresses, God is deeply and madly in love with who you are as a person. And, and it just, you ever felt the love of God for another person? Have you ever felt the weight? That that will change your, I want to live there. I want to live in that moment where I'm walking in, in, in the brokenness of God loves the lost and he loves his people. So why is that so exhilarating for me? Why? I mean, what, why would that? Because it's in those dark places and in those moments where you really be, you're really convinced of this one revelation that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And you see it. And you so see it. Now, I, I wish I could have gone in there and, and, and just started saying, hey, so according to Scripture, you're not doing this right. Let me show you in Scripture where you're all wrong. Right? That's option A. Man, I hope not. I really hope not. The connection was really with humor. It was with relationship. 
It was finding out that they needed something with depth. And I had a moment there to give them a glimpse of the goodness of Jesus. And that was that moment that I had to embrace. But still, I can't water down the word of God. And the word of God is harsh. The word of God is tough. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Hebrews 4.12 says the word is a double-edged sword. It separates the soul from the spirit. It challenges the thoughts of the heart, the attitudes of the heart. I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow. And I'll never forget this. One of my heroes by the name of Sam Mayo, Pastor Sam Mayo, I got an opportunity. Yes, I got, a, I got an opportunity to work with him for a couple of years. And a few years ago, this is Ginny Mayo's husband, by the way, who passed away. And uh, you know Ginny Mayo? Everyone know Ginny Mayo here? Okay, so I don't Okay, she's an amazing, she's like the Billy Graham for youth ministers. So uh, she, she, I got a chance to talk to him, and he said, Israel, I just want to tell you something. Because the message is hard. The message of the gospel to people who are so lost is sometimes a hard pill to swallow. And there are times when I'm even doubting, am I doing the right thing? And he comes to me and he says this, Israel, I just want to say thank you for what you do. Never, never, never water down the truth. The truth is like a sword, a steel blade that separates the spirit from the soul. It is sharp, a double-edged sword. But how we administer, how we administer the gospel is by wrapping it in love. It's the steel of the word, but the velvet of love. Israel, this is how you administer the gospel. It's steel wrapped in velvet. It's steel wrapped in velvet. And it's one thing, if I could give this message a name, I would call it uh, Velvet and Steel. I know it sounds like an 80s rock band, but it's, it's I, I want you to remember that in no way are we supposed to dull the blade. Are we supposed to water down the gospel? But the way that we deliver it, it's supposed to be wrapped in love. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about leveraging love to a sexually confused culture. Because right now, more than ever, our culture is sexually confused. There is brokenness. And what we're doing as Christians is we're tolerating the symptoms, and we're not exacting God's love into the roots. So today, as a group, as a church, as a body of believers, we're going to go in there and learn how to exact the love of God into the root. But let me say this. If you're in this room and you claim to be gay, you are welcome here. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're going to hear me say, you're going to hear me say that the Bible doesn't agree with homosexuality, but, but let me tell you something. We, we don't identify you according to your sexuality here. How we see you, and I know there's a lot of people, well, if you don't accept me for me, then you can't accept my sexuality. Well, that all depends on the lens in which we see you through. If we're looking at you through the lens of sexuality and worldly culture, then maybe you have a point there. But here's the, here's the lens that we see you through. We see you through the lens of Jesus Christ, which makes you a son and daughter before you are a heterosexual or a homosexual. And there's no arguing that. That's who you are. That's how we're going to relate to you because you are deeply loved. So here's where we're at with our culture. I want you to understand this, okay? The churches, the elders before you, not all of them, but a lot of them, didn't handle this appropriately. Can we agree? Okay? What should have been seeds of love and, 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 and mercy planted in the hearts of our gay community, okay? Instead, there was hate and bigotry that was planted in those seeds. The church is deemed as unsafe by our gay communities. 
And what happened was, is that our old culture, our old pastors, the old school churches with the picket signs, they broke our culture like, like a baseball bat over their kneecap, and they handed you a broken culture, and they said, here, fix this. And now where we're at right now is we're on the oversteer trying to turn back around this vehicle and make it right again. And we don't know how. Am I right? Does that make sense? We're a little confused. Because the people before us who handed us this broken culture, who said, here, fix this, okay, they were all steel, no velvet. And now, because they've broken it, and we're afraid of breaking people even further, now we become all velvet but no steel. What's the beautiful balance in all that? The beautiful balance is this, velvet and steel, love and mercy, kindness and grace, and we never back down on the truth. We never back down on the truth. So we have to understand that the, 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 there's treacherous terrain that we're walking into. Why? Well, because naturally, as humans, we're afraid of what we don't understand. And when it comes to homosexuality outside of MTV and social media, we don't really know how to treat that issue. So we're going to talk about that. And I want to tell you what this means. Okay, homosexuality, and in my opinion, this is just in my experience of doing this for almost 20 years, all the interviews, all the people that have sat on my couch and we've had discussions over coffee, the friendships that I've made with people in the gay community, what I have come to understand, okay, is this, is that homosexuality is symptomatic to sexual and relational brokenness. What is sexual and relational brokenness? Well, let's talk about that. It's this. It's a disconnect from the original intentions for our sexuality and the way we relate to God and others. And here's how that happens. This describes someone who's been deeply wounded and cut off from a very crucial part of their being, okay? Sexual brokenness uh, can be brought on about by many things. Sexual abuse, pornography, adultery, premarital sexual intercourse, detachment, physical and emotional abandonment. Those are just some of those things. Now, those things don't necessarily mean if you've experienced those things when you were a child, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will grow up to be gay. That doesn't, that doesn't equal that. But sometimes it does contribute to the way you see God, the way you see your sexuality, and the way that you see your brother and sister, and the way that you view them from an intimacy standpoint. Let me tell you about sexuality and intimacy. Sexuality and intimacy isn't what you do in a bedroom. That's one part of sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy is also kind of what's happening in this room right now. Sexual intimacy is simply this. God made men and God made women. And how God made man was to project and to illustrate the godly strength of his masculine nature. And what he did with that, okay, is he gave it work and a job. Then he created Eve. And Eve represented godly's, God, God's strength in the maternal, in the feminine form, the powerful feminine form of a woman. And he created them both different but like him. Now, God is not limited to one sexuality because he is God, but he encompasses both femininity and masculinity. And so he created two different beings to represent each because they are both each unique in design. And the way that we contrast femininity and masculinity is a beautiful thing. It's okay. Let me give you permission. It's okay, brothers, men, to look at your sister and say, you know what? She's pretty. I like the way she prays. I'm serious. I'm serious. That's good sexuality. 
That's not sex. That's nothing to be ashamed of. And then for you to take that, and then the enemy wants to twist it and say, okay, now you want to lust after them and mentally undress them. You say, no, we're not going there. That's my sister. She's a soul. She's not an object for me to, be, for me to have. Okay? Okay, ladies, it's okay to look at your brother and say, you know what? He looks good. He smells good. I don't like the way he serves. Right? Wow. Loud. Amen. Come on, guys. Sign up for certain. We got people signing up for service. I'm telling you, man, those lanyards, sexy. Give me two lanyards. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's okay, to, it's okay to admire that. That's godly sexuality. That's God working in the difference between the both, the way that one honors the other, and the way that we see differences in one another. That is beautiful. There is no shame in it. I see guys looking at attractive women going, oh, she's, she's attractive, she's attractive. Don't look at her, don't look at her, don't look at her. I'm like, bro, what is wrong with you? Like, stop that. It's okay. Just don't sexualize her. Just don't take her out of the context for which God designed her. And so we got to quit bringing shame on that. I mean, fellowship with one another in groups. <laughs> and something frustrates that in childhood, our inability to relate well with others, abuse fractures us and separates us from our culture. Neglect from our parents separates us from having healthy relationships with other kids in the playground. All these types, alcoholism, all that stuff traumatizes and fractures your ability to relate in a healthy way to other people. And growing up, that manifests and that messes with the way that you relate and perceive sexuality later on. Does that make sense? That's like a whole bunch of, that's like a three-day thing in like 10 minutes. So I, I just, I just want to make sure that we're tracking here. So, so here's the thing. Uh, I, I want you to understand that sexual brokenness doesn't just express itself through homosexuality, but ex it expresses itself through sex addiction, drug addiction, codependency, emotional dependency, et cetera, et cetera. All right, Israel, thank you for that. What's the answer? What do we do to fix this? Here's how we restore our broken sexuality. It's the gospel. That's it. It is the gospel. Well, what, what, what is the gospel? It is the good news that at one time we were deprived of heavenly purpose and divine intimacy, and Jesus made that possible. That's the good news. That's what the gospel means. It's the good news for us in a dark world that at one time there was no one that would stop the consequence of your worst sin from violently crushing you, and now we have Jesus. Let me illustrate that in case you don't know what the gospel is still. And you need this illustration. I'm that way. I'm a visual thinker. Here's you living out your worst sin. What you've done is you've awoken the consequence of death as a result of your poor choice. Death, this fire-breathing dragon, now pursues you to crush you. Jesus comes down and says, nope. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's it. That's what changes us. He saves us. He literally saves us from our worst sin in every form of it. And, and we see that all the time. We see it in the, in, the, in the New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. And there's this argument. Well, we don't really talk about homosexuality in the New Testament. And, and, and God, Jesus doesn't really say anything about it. Well, it is talked about in the New Testament. And we, we all know that every scripture is God-breathed, right? Okay, so we're in agreement there. So since the beginning of the church... Sin and every form of it has been an issue, but there's also been a hope in the solution, and it's been the gospel. Let's watch the gospel at work here. I want to show you this. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and it's real simple, and you're going to find all of you in here. 
I'm not just talking about people who have same gender attractions or who are homosexual or who are looking at pornography. Everybody's included in here, okay? Just, let me tell you this. Just because you sin differently doesn't make you any more special. All right, so here he goes. Here's Paul talking. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters. Well, Israel, I don't really worship any, any idols. It's like, well, how much time do you spend on your phone? That glowing screen in front of your face. Nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. And everyone looks there and says, ooh, sex with men. I knew it. But we tend to skim over the other stuff like idolatry. And adulterers, how many times have you allowed a fantasy in your mind to run its course? That's adultery. That is adultery. All right? Now, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. Well, I'm not a thief. I don't steal. What about that waitress's pen you took home from Denny's the other night? Where's that pen at now? You know when you were first saved, God would have said, take that pen back. You'd be like, oh, yes, Lord. But now you're like, I ain't got time for that. I'm tired. All right. All right. Nor drunkards. You know, well, I don't get drunk, but I do get a little bit buzzed. You're not buzzed, you're drunk. You're either sober or you're not. And you drank out of that box of wine? Oh, my God. We got to talk. No, I'm just kidding. I'll just, just play. Nor, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. Oh, I'm not a swindler. How many of you have taken some merchandise, and you know there's a mark on it, like a mark on a shoe, and you know you can easily wipe that mark off? What do you do? You go, um, I want to buy these, but there's a mark on it. Can I get 10% off? Swindler, you're a swindler. You need Jesus. You're right up there with men who sleep with men. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's right here. You, your sin is just different. I'm sorry. All right. So, so, but, but here it is. And it says this: will not inherit the kingdom of God. Dang. Like that was. Oh my God. Like, are you serious? Just that? Now y'all are looking for that pen now, huh? You, what, what, do you, what do you do? But here, here is the game changer in verse 11. I love this. Listen, and that is what some of you were. Holy cow. This talks about there's change. So swindlers can no longer be swindlers. People who sleep with men can no longer sleep. There's a change there. There's transformation. Our culture says that you can't change gay. But scripture here, before, before church was ever built, Right here, before corporate churches like this were ever manufactured by mankind, we see it in the early church where homosexuality is changed. Such were some of you. That's talking about the X part of your life. The X part of you, ex-liar, ex-drinker, ex-gossiper, ex-stripper. What? Hold on. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Let's think about this. There are people in this room who have done that. People who have slept with other men. People who have slept with hordes of women. Men who have slept with hordes of men. Women, okay, who once used to be prostitutes. Let me explain to you something. It's really easy for us to start admitting what we used to be when it's the lighter sins. But we run away from the real dark stuff that God has saved us from. Beloved, don't be ashamed of what God rescued you from. Quit being ashamed of what God rescued you from. I want you to understand this. What you came out of, okay, the level of darkness you came out of 
is an indicator of the power of God's rescuing hand. Don't be ashamed of it. What God rescued you from should be a reminder. Okay, now, here's, you know what I think? I think what it is is that what God rescued us from is a reminder of our shame, of the shame of our youth. But what I really believe is I think it should be a reminder of God's love and our worth. And I think that when we neglect what God took us out of, we're missing on our value and just how much he loves us. I want you to understand this. You know what's gonna keep you going in this walk of Christianity? It's not running away from your past. It's gonna keep you on this track. What's gonna keep you on this track is the steady revelation of how much God loves you and what he says about your worth. I want you to let that sink in. Can you absorb that for just a second? Don't be ashamed of what God rescued you from. And here's what. What, what, what did that? What is that? What, how did we change? How is there change possible? How do you change from stripping to stealing, from sleeping with men and, and women sleeping with women? How do you change? And it says it here in this, in this beautiful verse, at the end of this verse. It says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the transformational blood of Jesus at work. And it's meant for everybody. It's meant for everybody. You cannot outsend the cross. You can, your sin cannot supersede what Jesus did on the cross. The blood is meant for everybody, and it comes to this simple truth that you have to believe that whatever the blood touches, God changes. Do you believe that? Whatever the blood touches, God changes. Now, now here's the thing. I want to tell you about the argument that our culture is going to face right now is that homosexuality is assigned by genetic disposition. And the first thing we say is, well, how do I respond to the gay gene theory that we're born gay, that we're born with this gay gene? And I have young Christians that come up to me and say, Israel, teach me about the science and the physiology of this. And I appreciate science and physiology. I appreciate the delicacy of our, the, the, the delicateness of our psychosexual um, dysfunction and our psychosexual uh, functioning as adults. I, I appreciate it. I, I, I really think that we should educate ourselves and be aware of it. But the problem is, is that we're using science and physiology as our go-to argument. So someone says, well, we've been able to see that there's this gay gene. And then another Christian says, well, we discovered that you can't duplicate that evidence. And for it to be a scientific fact, it's got to be duplicable. And it's like, well, now we did duplicate it in, uh, over here in this country. It was like, well, this country doesn't recognize this type of... And you go back and forth and back and forth. And then you, you realize that no one, no one has ever argued out of the gay lifestyle. You can't. And what you realize, what you've just done by using science and physiology as your go-to, you've realized that you've been fighting a spiritual battle with flesh and blood. And that don't work. Because what we're up against is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and dark forces of this world. So in order to beat something in the spirit, we have to fight in the spirit. And the battle has already been won. We just have to agree it, agree with it, and know it. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that simple? Okay, so, so he, we, it's okay to understand how the mind works. And you're going to get that. You're going to get those statements. Well, Israel, I was born this way. 
and here's the gospel at work. Okay, well, that's why you have to be born again. My mind is predisposed to act this way. My brain was born to think and act this way. Well, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, Israel, I can't control how my heart feels. Well, Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, and I will teach you how to walk in my ordinances. With my spirit, I will teach you how to walk in my ordinances. And so here are the churches of old, how they used to think. Those gay people need to quit thinking that way and walk with God. But if they're not washed with the spirit and the blood, how can they? God has to teach us. The spirit is poured into us so that we can learn how to walk according to his ordinances. I mean, I'm filled with the spirit and I'm having a hard time with that. I'm telling you right now, I wish... I was 100% perfect, but I've messed up recently. I've argued with my wife. I've been jealous. I've had, I've had thoughts that don't glorify God, and the spirit is still within me. It's hard. And we expect people, non-Christians, to just switch over their sexuality on their own strength. And that can't happen unless they're filled with the presence of God. All right, so let's talk about what's happening with our culture. What, what's, what's, what is the trend going on right now? Well, a recent Barna poll showed that 91% of people who identified as non-Christian viewed Christianity as anti-gay. That's it. So a lost gay person believes that the church is unsafe. And it's really, it's not their lifestyle. It doesn't fit in. And so here's what our culture is seeing right now. Okay, right now we're seeing an increase in homosexuality, bisexuality, LBGTQ+. LBGT is lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, questioning and queer, plus, why plus, why not? Okay? And basically, you see this all the time. In 2012, 3.5% of people polled admitted to being uh, either bisexual uh, or homosexual. Uh, that number jumped up in 2017 to 45 So it is steadily increasing. It, it, that's just what it is. It's going to increase, guys. The darkness is getting bigger. That's just what it is. Let's just get, get used to that. Um, there's something called pansexuality, and that is a person who has sexual, romantic, or emotional attractions toward people regardless of their sex or gender. So really, well, they don't see gender. They don't see sexuality. They just kind of see a soul. They just say, oh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm gender blind. That's their statement. I'm gender blind. And there's a party that's going, oh, you don't see sexuality. You just see the insides, their feelings, and their emotions. Um, that's kind of sweet. Don't be deceived. Remember, God didn't create us as androgynous creatures. He gave us parts, Adam and Eve. He clearly defined us and said, this is man, this is woman. Now go have a good time, okay? So that's not according to Scripture. So also, uh, one thing we'll also see is something what we call sexually fluid, being sexually fluid. And that's a more current and inclusive term, uh, which speaks to the individual's sexual orientation that is open and changing. It's not gender binary based. Which, what I'm trying to say is this, is that I can like a guy one day, I can like a woman the next day. My sexuality is constantly evolving and growing. So I may, today it may be, Asian women, it may be Asian men, it may be a Puerto Rican woman. It, it doesn't matter. I'm open to my sexuality changing with current times. That's what it is. And what they're saying is this. I'm submitting my sexuality to culture and what it defines and how it defines me, which, again, that's scary. There's also gender dysphoria, 
which is people who feel strongly that their gender does not match their biology, which that's where I was with those wonderful men in the circle of these cross-dressers who were absolutely beautiful guys. And um, it, it was funny, but when I came back from that, that circle when I'm out there, I see my wife over there, and she's just kind of like this, what are you doing, you know? And um, I, I kind of had tears in my eye, and I'm like, baby, like, Jesus showed up. Like, I just saw Jesus. I just saw, I, I saw Jesus, you know? And, and, and one guy came back, and he, he, he grabbed me, and he says, hey, man, you're right there in front of my wife. He goes, um, I just want to give you a hug. And he threw his arms around me and, like, crushed me, just crushing me. And then he walks away, and I was like, I was like, babe. She goes, I know, sweetie. That's Jesus. Now let's go wash that glitter off your face. <laughs> but it was Jesus. It was, the, it was the presence of God in that moment. And so that's, that's and that's, you're going to see that a lot more, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you're really going to see it in certain places. And here's what we have, something that's a little bit different, uh, a little more tricky, and something that's, that's growing. And this is the part that we need to be praying about, ladies and gentlemen. It's the gay Christian. This is the person that believes God approves and blesses same-sex marriages and or lifestyles. Um, that's, just, that's just what it is. There are gay-affirming churches out there, and they claim to be spirit-filled, and their worship is off the hook. Like, I've been to one. I'm telling you, that's just, I mean, that, that much talent in one room, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's very artistic. It's very beautiful. I'm just saying. I'm just, it's easy to be deceived. Somebody can walk in the room, and they can say this. How can this be wrong? How can this be wrong? All right, so the demise of our convictions. Our convictions are dying, okay? Our convictions are dying. As a culture, our convictions are dying. The enemy is after your convictions. You who are in this room, you have to fight for your convictions. The enemy wants to destroy it. A majority of U.S. Christians, 62%, this number changed over the weekend, 62% now say that homosexuality should be accepted rather than discouraged by society. There are churches that are changing their, the, the way that they do things, the way that they marry people now as a result of this. They're changing their bylaws. It's okay for people, for us to marry people who are of the same sex. And so how do we slowly get there? I wanna, I wanna describe four easy traps that well-meaning Christians fall into. I just wanna share this with you. Listen up. It's number one, personal stories drive biblical interpretation. Here's what I mean by that. Scripture should drive our personal stories. Scripture should write our personal stories, not vice versa. It's dangerous when stories make us disregard what God says. In our culture, personal stories are how we discover truth nowadays. Okay, the individual, me, you, other people out there, okay, they naturally look outside of themselves, okay? Uh, they're supposed to naturally look outside of themselves to find God. But no one does that anymore. Now, what they feel and what they experience is their truth. What's happening in their heart, they don't let God define or have final say over. The rest of their life is defined by how they feel. We're, people are looking inside to our own experience, and that experience is our sole truth, and that sets us up for moral failure. And here's what I'm talking about. Here's the lie. I have my own truth. And no one has the right to say that my truth is wrong. That's where that leads. Now, now, 
personal stories illuminate, challenge, and help us apply the truth of Scripture into our own lives. But we need to resist the temptation of bending God's truth to make us feel comfortable. And right now, people are bending the truth of God to make themselves feel comfortable. Why? Because it's a double-edged sword. I mean, God is our comforter. He comforts us through his word. But our loving father is also our coach and our trainer. He trains us up. And for every form of training, there is a form of discomfort. And to receive his love but reject his training is to write your own Bible. They go both hand in hand, love and training. So here's the deal. What we all need deliverance from is this. It's our selfish will. It's the belief and the pursuit of what we want to selfishly become as individuals. We are all called out of the story that we've written for ourselves to live the story that God has written for us. And that's challenging, isn't it? I mean, honestly, you have your heart set on a story that you want your life to fill, but then you realize God has something else. It's the same thing with sexuality. I want to live this way. I want to be this way. But scripture says I can't. So here's, here's, here's another thing. Two, modern culture is superior to ancient culture. That's, that's, another, that's another lie we fall into, that modern culture is superior to, to ancient culture. This worldview doctrine says this. We moderns know more than people who lived long ago. They were ignorant. We're not. They didn't have the knowledge we have today, okay? We have the data. They don't have the data. And I get it. Seriously. Like, we, we are technologically advanced. I mean, even the worship that we had here, we're like in our heads going, yeah, take that 2006 worship. Where are you at? Like, we compare, we're like, this is the best church ever. We're part of the greatest movement ever. I mean, you got more technology on your wrist than the first space shuttle went to the moon. Look it up. It's, I'm serious. I mean, there, there's a part of us that, 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 that's tempted to say, you guys don't, the people back then may have gotten some of this stuff wrong. Some of the stuff that they were writing, I don't know if it holds true to this day. Because we are so far advanced. We are more intelligent. Someone is wrong about what they wrote. Even sin, the expressions have sin, have evolved. It's chaotic. I mean, if you could even jump into the, um, I don't know, if you could jump into like a time machine in the DeLorean with a flux capacitor and go back to all the people who wrote scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and some of the big heroes of the Bible, uh, the big storytellers like David, Samson, Daniel, Ruth, Hannah, and they were all in a room, you'd go back to them, you would say, look guys, I gotta tell you something, I've seen 2019 and it's not making any sense. I mean, literally, it is easy for us to do anything we want. We have hookup apps, we have the swipe life, we have, we've, we, we've got Tinder, we've got Grindr, People are hooking up sexually without any emotional involvement, and you can do it in less than an hour. We have, we have eHarmony. I'm just kidding. I'm not, no, I'm not. It's true. We have all the, you, something is wrong here. You guys have it all wrong. I mean, there, there's a, you could give them a snapshot of what's happening in our culture. You can, you can even tell the, the greats of old and say, listen, there's a woman that's born in 2019, all right, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, check this out, okay, uh, she didn't like being a woman, okay, so she decided to become a man. She had her breast chopped off, she took pills to grow a beard, but her internal parts are working just fine. So what happens is she got pregnant and now she has a baby bump. 
And so her picture is circulating all over social media about now a man is pregnant. What do you got to say about that, Paul? Are you sure this is wrong? Are you sure we got it wrong? I mean, can't we bend the rules a little bit? I mean, we can have sex with people as long as we love them and we're going to marry them. Right? I can live with my boyfriend. I mean, do, do I really have to get rid of a hint of immorality? I can't I just hang on to one little hint? I mean, it's all I have. I mean, love is love. Everyone deserves to be loved. This, all these gay people are being persecuted. We got to change the rules. And Paul says, uh, grinder." And I believe that Paul would say this. He would stand up or someone and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're going through that. But um, that doesn't change the message. Your present circumstance does not change the infallible word of God. And I believe that he would say this in Philippians 1.20. He says, in this time of chaos, I hope that I will not be ashamed of the gospel. I pray that you will have courage to boldly be like Jesus in the world that you're living in and that he will be glorified in your mortal body in life and death. And he would finalize it with this statement, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Come on, that's you. Beloved, let me, I don't want to burst your bubble. The expression of sin, the, 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 the expression of sin has changed, but the nature of sin has always been the same. You're not the first to go through this. You're not the only ones. You're not the first and you're not the last. You think the times are harsh. We must do something. We must bend. No, you're not the first or the last to go through this. But you are the new and you are the now. You are the new and you are the now. And just like the heroes of the Old Testament and the New Testament were assigned to live in their culture and to rage against the savagery of that culture, so were you selected to stand firm on the gospel in this culture now. Amen. Did you hear that? You were selected, you were appointed to stand firm on the word of God now with his spirit in you, not by yourself, not alone. And here's the thing, all of heaven is watching and the saints, the saints are cheering your name. What do you do with that? You stand firm. You don't move. Steel and velvet. Never water down the gospel. Always administer it with love. Here's the third thing that happens. We believe that love comes over righteousness. It's dangerous to see love without truth, grace, righteousness, and repentance. Our culture right now believes that because of God's nature to love, he has forfeit his right to judge. And that's wrong. Here's another thing. It's Number four is a desperate need for social justice. Uh, Psalms 89, 14 says this. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Let me say Righteousness and justice are inseparable attributes that divinely work together. Now, we want to avenge those who have been hurt. And it's so easy to believe that God didn't mean what he says about sexuality in scripture when so many people have been offended by that truth. And in our attempt to be socially just, we change what God designed for sexuality in our mind. We need to lean on God's idea of justice. 
actually better yet, we need to trust in God's idea of justice because our justice looks different than his. We have to trust in his form of justice and you can be assured that this, he will never be just while forsaking holiness and he will never be holy and forsake justice. He is constant, he is faithful. And so what we do instead of changing our minds about what God says about sexuality is that we trust the brokenhearted to the one who created them. And we pray for them. We pray for them. All right. So those are some of the things that can easily capture your heart and can easily make you say, did God really say that? Because that's really what happens. All these lies that I just listed out, it all starts with this one little statement. Did God really say that you can't have sex before marriage? Did God really say that you can't get drunk every night? Did God really say that you should stop smoking weed? Did God really say, I mean this in the most literal sense. That statement, did God really say, is the oldest lie in the book. Do you get that? What tripped up Eve? What tripped it up? It was a conversation with the creation that had caused her to question the creator. Did God really say... You can't eat of that fruit. You know, before you sin, there is this soft little echo in your heart where the enemy has crept in and he's challenged you and said, did God really say not to have sex with her? Did God really say not to go to that club? Did God really tell you? And you know what? I'm talking about the, all these moral, but let's just be real. What about the simple things of obedience? The simple thing that God wants you to do. Did, did God really say to start a business? Did God really say to start serving in your church? Did God really say to start working up your appetite for him and start reading the word every night? God didn't really say that. That's religion. That's old stuff. I mean, it's easy to fall into those traps. The simple, the small white lies, which by the way, we're talking about some big sins. I get big sins. But you know what really kills you? It's those soft little ones that keep you away from small group, that keep you away from tithing, that keep you away that's from submitting to healthy leadership, that keep you away from the church. Those lies kill you and set you up for the big ones. All right, how do we respond? How do we respond to all those lies that are constantly invading our church? This is our redemptive response. Number one is this, what do you do? It's, I'm gonna kind of replay the scenario of being in that group of guys. Um, it's this, it's leveraging love. 1 Peter 4, 8. I love this. So simple, so real. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. And I love that multitude of sins. You're talking about me. I'm the dude that did a multitude of sins. So how do I, how do I redeem myself from that? Well, be around people who love me. Love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus pointed people to the truth. Then he leveraged love, which caused them to believe that truth. Here's the thing that you have to understand. Jesus doesn't bow down to our emotions, ladies and gentlemen, but he definitely is interested and engaged with what we feel. God draws near to the brokenhearted. God draws near to us. He doesn't bow to our emotions. Psalm says this, that you capture every tear in your bottle, which means this, I forget your sins, but I collect what makes you sorry. I collect what makes you feel sorrow because I will never forget who hurt my child. That's the loving father that we worship. And we can't deny that God is interested in our emotions. To deny that God is separate from our emotions is to deny that Jesus Christ came down 
as a man to lay hands on us, to touch us, to wash our feet, to weep with us, and then ultimately to die for us. God is involved in our emotions. So he cares about how we love, the way we love, the way that we present this steel wrapped in velvet. Velvet matters. Love matters. Friendship, kindness, that all matters. Those are all characteristics of God. We have to quit trying to tolerate the symptoms of our broken culture and start exacting the love of God into the roots. And here's what I mean by that. The statement, I am gay, confused, or bisexual, is symptomatic of an unmet need to be loved, known, seen, and heard. So guess what? We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we get to look at people. And we get to tell them, God loves you. And we get to mean it with all of our heart. God loves you. Here's another way that you can do that. When you see someone who's gay, number one, don't assume that they're gay. Hey, this person's gay, Israel, what do I do? It's like, well, when did they tell you that? Well, I just can tell he's stylish and he's kind of feminine and he, that's just kind of how he is. I'm like, so he didn't tell you he was gay? Like, yeah, what do I do? Shut up. Like, don't, and I mean, he, he, brothers, I want to get to know him. Like, he's stylish, he's cool, he's cool dude. So, so b- before you start trying to develop a project to rescue a gay, Develop friendships. Develop friendships. I have friends. I have friends. I have have tons of friends in Dallas who are gay, and they know where I stand. And they tell me, and this is the big joke, Israel, when are you just going to be gay? And I'm like, when are you just going to love God with all your heart? That's what, and, I, and I love that banter, but guess what? I've earned it. I've learned the language. I've spent time with them. I've held their hand while they broke up with their boyfriend. Okay, I prayed over them. And I will always tell them, I just don't think this is right for you. This isn't healthy, but I love you. Friendships, not projects. Here's, here's another thing, speak truth. Always speak truth. Don't dull the blade. Don't water down the message. Ephesians 4.15 says this, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's our culture. That's 2019, man. Right there. Instead, speaking the truth in love, velvet and steel, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Oh man, when you minister the gospel with truth and love, you grow to be more like Christ. Israel, how do I grow to become more like Christ? Velvet and steel. The truth wrapped in love. You want to grow to become more like Christ? Administer the gospel with kindness, friendship, and love. Here's the deal, okay? Um, Never water down the truth, but be a well of truth and don't be a fire hose. Be a well of truth, not a fire hose. What would you rather drink from, a well or a fire hose? There are some people that throw this onslaught of data and information about homosexuality, sexual brokenness is wrong, okay? And people just aren't ready for that yet. You're being a fire hose. Be a well of truth where people can come to you, where people can gather, where you're approachable, where it's deep, okay, not shallow, okay, where it's crystal, where it's, it's attractive, okay? Here's the other thing. Here's how you speak truth. Point the person to Jesus, not heterosexuality. Heterosexuality is not the answer for homosexuality. Holiness is the answer for homosexuality. You gotta live like me. I don't want your life. 
You fight with your wife. I've seen that. I'll just stay gay. Here's the third thing, exude meekness. I love this, Colossians 3, 2. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, that's you, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is what meekness is. It's strength under control. I'm going to read this to you. Okay, I found this really cool thing about meekness. Our culture, is, is, it's, it's dying slowly. The churches, they're bringing in all this crooked stuff. You got to stay faithful. And while you stay faithful, okay, you have to have a certain attitude. This is the attitude, okay? Meekness is an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture. Meekness is not a resignation to fate or a passive and reluctant submission to events. Meekness is a kind display of confidence that God is bigger than your present circumstance. The world is changing, but we should not be afraid. We were going to stand firm on the truth, and the reality of what the gospel says. Here's the fourth thing. Seek to understand. Proverbs 4, 7 is this. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs you all you have get understanding understand the person the homosexual next door understand the person who claims that they are gay outside of a person's lifestyle or habits what do you actually know about that person don't see a homosexual see a person a person with complex fears hopes dreams and wounds most sexually broken souls are extremely deprived of love and identity they have lost true, they have lost trust, they have lost faith, they've lost partnership in the church and what God says about them. And, and here's what they've done. In an effort to survive and find substance, people have become the designers and authors of their own truth. This false truth has become their functional God. And it's all they have. It's all they have. That's our culture. That's what we do. That's, that's what we're called to do in this chaotic time. This is what you've been chosen to do, is to leverage love, is to speak truth, no matter what. Display meekness. Be a friend. Find compassion. Find empathy. Now, there is a, a new breed, I believe, of just Christian warriors, savages, if you will. I, I like to call them that because they're, they're radical. I've seen this, and there's a lot in this room right now. And I wanted to say, I hope you understand this with my heart. The reason why I told you that story about the men who were dressed up as women, I want you to understand that there, there, not, there's nothing here but the kindness of God. Okay? It wasn't me going to those guys. That's not, that's not me. That's Jesus. That, that's, that's just Jesus, okay? So with that being said, there is a group of people in this room and all over, and they're a brand of heroes that we don't recognize too often. There are people who had these same-sex attractions, and they will not conform to society. They will not conform to what the culture says. Be gay, embrace your sexuality. They say no. And what they do is they say, I understand that I have same gender attractions, but my sexuality doesn't define me. What defines me is the cross and the blood of Jesus. I am a son and I am a daughter. And that's how I will live for the rest of my life. 
But the burden for them is this, is that there's still the attraction. And it's dying, and I believe that people do change. I just believe it's a process. You didn't get those attractions overnight. You're not going to lose them overnight. When it comes to the soul, it's such a complex thing that sometimes it takes time to heal those inner wounds. And so every day is a fight for them. And every day the enemy says, now do you want to be gay? And they say no. And the truth is this, ladies and gentlemen. You, you, would, you would ask them and say, um, well, aren't you free? Where's your freedom if you still feel that way? And that hurts people who are struggling with same gender attractions. Let me tell you what freedom is. That's not freedom. Freedom isn't found in the absence of temptation. Freedom is found while you are in the full presence of temptation that you still choose Jesus. That's freedom. That's authority. I, I grieve you if you're gonna count yourself free when temptation loses its power over you. Because temptation never loses its power. It is ongoing. What really happens when you become a disciple is you just get stronger than your temptation. God greater in you than the temptation that is in this world. Don't hinge your freedom on the fact that temptation has to lose its power. It won't. It's a neon sign that always stays on 24 hours, seven days a week. You get bigger, you get stronger. And every single day, these people fight the good fight of faith and to claim their identity in Christ. And they are, un are unsung heroes of the day and of this generation. I just wanna tell you this, that if any of you are struggling with that, I want you to know that number one, I declare this place to be a safe place. This church is a safe place for you. Don't walk that out alone. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's any sexual brokenness in you, don't walk that alone. If there's some addictions to pornography, if there's sex before marriage that's going on, if there's any type of confusion or questioning about your sexuality or some sort of immorality or some sort of addiction, I just want you to know this. This is a safe place for you. God welcomes you, and you're not called to do this alone. In fact, I beg you, don't do this alone. I want your buy-in. And so this is what I'll tell you. I'm gonna tell you something very personal about me. I was a sex addict, okay? My sex addiction was strong before I was married and it was strong even after I said I do to my wife after our marriage. I still had a sex addiction and I had to work on that. And it was humiliating for me to acknowledge and admit that I still had an addiction because I was sexually broken. But because of the gospel, because of the truth of his love, because of God's kindness and mercy. I'm living out a different story. Now, I open myself up to you because I want you to be able to open yourself up to us. I wanna trade my story, now I wanna hear yours. If you're struggling, don't struggle alone. Let us walk with you. We can tell you about the traps that are laying up ahead. We can give you a realistic healing plan. Okay, if you're codependent, if you're emotionally dependent, if you're just emotionally broken, if there's suicide, if there's any form of anguish, anything that is not of God still haunting you in your life, talk to somebody. And I'm not hard to find. My team, we are not hard to find here. Okay, we love you guys, and we're here for you guys. And so what I want to do is, I, I, at the end, we're gonna we're gonna worship, and we're gonna. I just really want you to just worship God. I really believe that. There's freedom here for those that want it. 
really believe there's going to be a big release. I really do. I, I really sense God just doing something very special about this night. He does something special every night here. But tonight, there's, there's people here that really need to hear this, that you are loved and that you are courageous. Now, I, I want to bring up a friend of mine in just a second. Let me tell you, he, he understands the struggle of choosing God every day. And um, it's hard. It takes a courage like no other. And I, when I see these guys in the spiritual realm, I see these guys as giants because of what they're dealing with every single day. They are forced to choose Jesus. And I have seen lives transformed. And such were some of you. But now you've been rescued, washed, sanctified by the blood of Jesus. I want to make sure that you understand that you know that. For the sake of time, I'm going to move here. I'm going to move really quick here. I do believe that there's some people who may need to accept Jesus into their heart tonight. I want to be very sensitive to that. After that, I want to just bless you. Um, just bless you that, that God put a fire in you, that God restore you, that God heal you. And then we're going to worship. And what I want you to do, and I know it's late, guys, but what I really want you to do is, is at the end of worship or during worship, I just want you to know that God is present here. And if you need to, just come and be in his presence. And what, what, let whatever is broken just be fixed at his feet. Whatever is going on, whatever struggle you're facing, let it be restored in the presence of your almighty, the lover of your soul. You're the apple of his eye. And right now, these next few minutes belongs to him. And this belongs to you. So if you're in the house and you just haven't given your life to Jesus or maybe you've strayed or maybe you've fallen away and you've lost your passion, do me a favor. I want you to just close. I want everyone in the house to just close your eyes, bow your heads. This is for you. I want everyone to repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I've strayed. I want you in my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Change me. Disciple me. Let me know of your love. I renounce my sins, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you will, in the spirit of awe and reverence, I want you to stand on your feet. I want to just bless you with this. And again, we're going to end with worship, and I want you to just let God call you to him. Let God bring you into his presence. And if you will, just put your hands up. I want to put this blessing on you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this wild group of radical Jesus followers, Lord Jesus, who love you with all their heart and all their might and all their soul. And I speak a special blessing onto them right now that you will stir up the flame in their heart, Lord Jesus, the fire in their belly to be bold and courageous in a very dark world, that they will not fear the night, Lord Jesus, or the terror that lurks in the day, but that they will rest in the confidence of God, of their Savior, that you will give them the strength and the ability to do great, amazing things, for they have been called to this generation to be a light in dark places, and I pray that they will be relentless, that they will never back down, that they will be fierce. That they will, if they're afraid, that they do it afraid over and over again. That they will walk in their sonship to Jesus. That they will walk as daughters in Christ. And that they will do amazing and incredible things on this side of eternity. So that on the next side of eternity, that they're met with applause. That they're met with your smiles, Lord Jesus. Your love, your graciousness. 
the name of Jesus. Bless them. Amen.